Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. Well, hello and welcome to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here as always with Todd Atkins. Hello. Oh, that was, that was a little different. Okay. I don't we'll know. Take it. I, I'm getting take old, it. man. I've had another <laughs> birthday since I think our last recording. So there you go. Well, today we are excited because we are joined by Colin Hansen, who serves as vice president of content and editor in chief for the Gospel Coalition. He's a podcast host. He's an author of many books, including his latest, which is a biography of the life of Tim Keller. So, Colin, we're excited to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I enjoy being here and uh, talking with you guys about this. Yeah, well, we're excited to have you on. And, you know, normally the first question we ask, we jump in and we just ask, hey, who are you learning from? <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's a few maybe influences. But for you, you have done a deep dive into the life of Tim Keller while writing this book. And man, we're excited for this book to come out. But let's just jump in with this. You know, typically in a biography, you're kind of writing about it through the eyes of the one you're writing about. For you, you came at it in a little bit of a different perspective by looking at the influencers on the life of Tim Keller. So what made you first off want to write this book and also come about it in that way? Yeah, well, it is interesting that when you're learning from Tim Keller, you're actually learning from dozens of other people. You're learning from all of these influences. So yes, you could say I've been learning from Tim Keller doing a deep dive there, but really I've been learning a lot from Ed Clowney. I've been learning a lot from Roger Nicole and John Owen and Jonathan Edwards and Elizabeth Elliot and Barbara Boyd and all sorts of people who are really well known and not well known at all. That's just the way Tim talks. He just talks about those sort of influences. So I took the approach that I did because it's really what's fitting for Tim Keller. He is probably the leader most transparent about where he's getting his uh, influences from. Oh, here's this book that I'm reading, or here's this article I read over here, or here's this sermon I heard, or this lecture I heard, or, or, or something that I learned in a class 50 years ago. He's pretty... I mean, I shouldn't say pretty. He is very transparent about that. I actually think it, it confuses people a little bit because it makes it sound like he just copies from a bunch of different people. Mm -hmm. That's not remotely the case. He synthesizes these wide, disparate influences into his own ministry philosophy and perspective. But... I took that approach because that's what's most in keeping with Tim Keller, and it allows us to, in this book, develop in our leadership, not just from reading Tim Keller, but from benefiting from the insights of all these dozens of people that I wrote about in the book. So how, how did the book come about? Like, what made you want to dive into the life of Tim and, you know, yeah. from there, go with the influences on his life? Well, Tim is this shortcut to so many other different people. I mean, his life spans so many of the most significant events and people and ideas 
of the latter half of the 20th and into the 21st century. He's born in 1950, the exact you know, dividing line there. And his coming of age, 1968 to 72. I mean, what incredibly tumultuous years in American history. He's pastor one of the largest, most influential churches in New York City on 9-11. Becomes a best-selling author in the aftermath of the, the New Atheists. Becomes the, the leader of this global uh, church planting movement. Co-founds the Gospel Coalition, where I've served for you know for more than a decade. So there's all sorts of reasons to be fascinated just with his life, but really. I, it, it's more of that opportunity for all of us to develop our own, like use him as a model for our own leadership development, for our own, oh, this is how he thought about how to bring these influences together. So that's how the project came about. He was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in May of 2020, shortly into the pandemic. And so my thought was, we want to learn this directly from Tim, not knowing how much time that we have left with him. So I thought, well, let's see if we can do this one. I mean, let's, let's hear directly from him so we don't have to be guessing about this uh, without his help in the future. You know, that's really interesting. He's been on the podcast twice, if not least three times. And one of the things that was really unique about those experiences was I always learned personal things yeah. about him that I didn't know. Yeah. And for somebody who is very much in the public eye and, um, at first glance, you don't think of him almost as a personable person or having, yeah. you know, a high level of disclosure. But every time on the podcast, he certainly would. Yeah. Uh, and I know your relationship with him as well. Like, what were some of the personal things that you learned about him that were, I don't know, most surprising or interesting? Yeah. So the first interview I did was with his sister. And I don't think I've ever seen Tim talk about his parents. And so from his sister, he's the only immediate family member other than Tim who's still alive. And so from his sister, all of a sudden, then you're learning about his dad. You're learning about his mother. And his mother was an especially dominant influence in his life. And everything Tim writes about the power, transformative power of grace, that's based on his experience with Jesus. But in light of his experience with his mother, they had a pretty contentious relationship and she had a very, very strong moralistic streak in her. Mm. And then all of a sudden, then from there, and his father was a pretty passive figure. Then from there, you're learning also about his brother. Most people don't realize that Tim had a brother. He died in 1998. He died of AIDS. And in the course of this project, I, I asked him, well, did you preach the funeral? And he said, yes. And I said, what did you say? And he didn't have the, there was a recording of it somewhere, but he didn't have it in, with him at the time. And thankfully his assistant said, well, here are the notes from there. And uh, I'll let people pick up the book and, and see. Sometimes I'll ask, what do you think Tim Keller preached at his younger brother's funeral? But his brother became a Christian in hospice with AIDS and had been gay as well and then made that transformation as well um, on his deathbed. So most people just don't know about that in his family, but clearly in a book about his influences, you really only understand Tim Keller with what problems he was trying to solve. And specifically in that situation, Tim said in that funeral that, and this is something he said very often other places, I didn't realize where it originated. He said, when we preach what Jesus preached, we should be seeing a response from the people who responded to Jesus. 
But if our churches are not, they don't have anybody like those people who are attracted to Jesus, then maybe we're not preaching the same message that he did. It's a good reflection for all of us there, but I saw it most powerfully in that um, relationship with his brother. I mean, there's a couple others that I could mention. I did not realize how close Tim and Kathy, his wife, were to Elizabeth Elliot. So that was a that was a standout part. She was one of their professors. I knew that Kathy, as a child, has cor- had corresponded with C.S. Lewis. I didn't realize that she was one of the last people that he wrote uh, to before he died, and that um, and I knew Kathy is just a powerhouse in and of herself, but the clear testimony from every single one of their family and friends is that uh, they're really, you're just not understanding Tim Keller unless you understand his biggest influence, which is certainly his wife, Kathy. Wow. What a, what a seat to have to be able to, to learn just so much. And thank you for distilling it down and even sharing that in the book. I know a lot of people who have benefited from his ministry just have no clue on a lot of those things. You know, you mentioned earlier some of the influences. You quickly skimmed over them. Uh, would love to hear a little bit more about the main influences on his life that you you would say, man, these are the pillars yeah. that his you know ministry and theology was built upon. But also, you said how we can actually just learn from him. Uh, right. The way that he would learn from these influences, but then also almost citing his sources, uh, letting people know. But what did you take away in your own leadership and what would you pass along to others as well based upon that? Uh, One of the things that I I took away was how he continued to grow and develop and continues to this day to develop as like rings on a tree. That was trying to understand that a lot of people, they seem to develop their belief system, their theological perspective, their business sense, whatever you want to say, almost like um, like fads. It's like a lily pad theology. They're, or they're jumping from this to this to this to this to this. There doesn't seem to be a lot of coherence to it. Keller's is like rings on a tree. The, the essential conversion experience he has through University Christian Fellowship in 1970, that never changes. The theological beliefs he develops as a, as a student and especially in seminary don't really change for his whole life, but he continued to grow. And so a lot of the areas I've learned from him on a lot has been his work on social criticism and I didn't realize it was a pretty late addition to his ministry when he was already well into his 1950s. He did a whole different shift in his reading. And so that's when people like Charles Taylor came in and Robert Bella, Philip Reef, Alistair McIntyre, folks like that. And I've been very much influenced by them in my own writing, my own thinking, my own teaching, my entire perspective on ministry. And I got to know them originally through Tim. And then as I did this book, I realized, oh, he was writing his best-selling apologetics book, The Reason for God, while he was rethinking at the same time his entire approach to apologetics. I mean, he's retooling things well into his well into his 50s and into his 60s, but somehow even as he's retooling, he's never departing from that core from that essence of his ministry. That just became a real model for me and 
I'll just mention one other influence because he's so prominent in the book. In fact, in the book, I had a hard time knowing how to where to put him in there because the only person who spans basically his life is Ed Clowney. Ed Clowney was his only personal mentor. He was the president at Westminster Theological Seminary, was a massive teacher for the Urbana conferences back when they'd have 20,000 students at those events every three years. Clowney and, and, and Keller would go on to teach together at Reformed Theological Seminary with some lectures on preaching Christ in a postmodern world that a lot of people have found very helpful. But Clowney was an influence on Tim right there as a student at Bucknell as an undergraduate, helped send him to Gordon-Conwell, recommended Gordon-Conwell as, as a student, and was an encouragement to him. And then when Tim went to Westminster Theological Seminary as a professor, he took over for Ed Clowney. And then Clowney would come and teach with him in New York. And then the prodigal God message is primarily building off a lot of what Ed Clowney gave him. So another cool thing is uh, actually went and found a series of lectures that Clowney did as a visiting uh, teacher at Gordon Conwell in 1973. And I listened to these five lectures and I realized virtually everything Tim taught his entire life, he learned as a first year seminary student in these lectures from Ed Clowney. <laughs> oh, wow. But, Gordon Conwell had them on reel to reel. I don't know if anybody had heard them <laughs> since 1973. I'm sure Tim and Kathy had not heard them since they were students and they were 23 years old or 22 years old at the time. And so we were able to digitize them, and thankfully we got permission from the, the Clowney Foundation to be able to release them through the Gospel Coalition for people who want to know more about them. But you'll, I think a lot of people will be amazed to say, oh, yeah, that's about five things <laughs> that I learned from Tim Keller in those lectures. I'm also just surprised that they were recording them back back then and yeah. he was able to be accessed. That's awesome. Yeah, well, I mean, there you know, a lot of Tim's sermons from the 1970s and 80s are also recorded, but I haven't been able to get my hands on those yet. I think if he's got some time, he probably wants to go through and uh, figure out which ones should go public. <laughs> <and not. laughs> he, he preached 1,500 messages wow. in nine years. Starting when he was 23, uh, excuse me, 26, graduating from uh, seminary. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking for the rest of us. I bet most of us would not want our first 1,500 sermons to be <laughs> no. heard by people. <laughs> anything that anything I was preaching from 23 to 26 is probably... <laughs> There's probably uh, maybe just one or two things yeah. that somebody could pull out a soundbite and, right. you know. Oh. Uh, There's only so downside there. Uh, yes. <laughs> There's only downside. <laughs> yes. Okay, so I, I want to uh, switch just a little bit. I, I really, I love the analogy that you gave that, you know, his growth looks like the rings of a tree. And I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to steal that and use it somewhere. Um, but <laughs> well, I stole the, it from him, so don't worry. I'm sure he stole it from someone else. <laughs> um, so moving on from a growth thing of, of rings on a tree uh, to layers of an onion, uh, because yeah. you get to see so many facets of mm -hmm. Tim Keller. Here's a quote that I find it like hits me really weird when I when I read it and I'm like please share with the group when Redeemer was first founded the staff called it the land of yes yeah. and that does not sound like them killer at all to me <laughs> so what does that mean what does yeah. that mean so 
Tim is an excellent leader in terms of casting a compelling vision that people will get excited about, they'll understand, and they'll want to follow. He is not a particularly effective or careful manager. So for a church plant, this actually worked pretty well for a while because the attitude was, hey, you want a prayer meeting? Go ahead and start a prayer meeting. <laughs> the answer is yes, do it. So it was so interesting when I was talking to the first members and leaders of Redeemer Presbyterian Church, they talked about how much they loved Tim Keller's messages, but they talked as much or even more about the community that they enjoyed. But Tim and Kathy were not they were not mentioned. So for example, a couple years into the church, it's the first Gulf War. And the members of the church or a group of them decide they're going to pray around the clock about this conflict. They'd been getting together to pray for their city. They're praying for their nation. They're praying for the world. These were profound spiritual experiences for the members of the church. But Tim and Kathy weren't there. So the attitude was, this is the land of yes. If you want to do it, yes, go ahead and do it. Now, that led to complete chaos. And so that's why I say at one point it transitioned into the land of, oh, no. <laughs> um, but that's why God gives us executive pastors. Hey, amen. So uh, my mantra everywhere, like the thing that I'm probably most noted for saying is leadership development is poetry and plumbing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a plumber. Um, I wouldn't yeah, have a job if we didn't have if the church. Our churches weren't were uh, full of of great poets and plumbers. Unfortunately for me, yeah, um, most pastors are plumbers. Or I'm sorry, are poets. Oh, yeah. Well, no, that's that's exactly right. And you, the thing though that has made Tim an effective leader amid a couple different crises um, of leadership has been because. He's just open about his weaknesses, his sins, his shortcomings, and he empowers people when necessary to be able to meet them and to and to compliment him. And he's just not territorial about that. And so that I mean, that's just necessary. There is I have spent my career 20 plus years working with a lot of the most effective leaders in the church and not one single one of them or anybody I've met is good at at everything. So we shouldn't pretend otherwise. And just because you're great at poetry does not mean you're good at plumbing. I got to say, I could write 25 more biographies before I could change anything in my own house's plumbing. So God bless the plumbers. <laughs> That's amazing. So it's interesting, you know, you, you shared kind of the why behind this. You, you mentioned Keller's cancer diagnosis and you said, hey, you know, we'd love to be able to write this while also being able to hear from him. And you were able to talk with him while you're gathering research about the book. Can you tell tell like what that looked like talking with him and even what his demeanor was about as you're doing the yeah. research and just saying, hey, I want to write a biography on you to capture your ministry. Well, one of the other perhaps unexpected approaches that I took in this book is that I talked with everyone else more or less before I talked at length with Tim. Now, most people will probably think, oh, so Colin sat down with Tim, he did a bunch of interviews with him, and then he wrote up what was said in there. No, I've been following Tim for 15 years. I've been working with him for 13. And I knew enough through his writings, through his sermons, through spending time with him to know the basic areas to go. And I did get a big assist from him and from Kathy. They called their friends 
and they encouraged their friends to speak freely with me. That was a huge help. I think that's what no one has ever done before. Yeah. Here's the narrative I want you to say about me, please. It's what most other people would be saying. (laughs) Yeah, well, exactly. And so, so it was, here's my sister. Here's my, the best man at my wedding, my, my best friend from college. Here's, here's our best friend from seminary, which praise God for Louise Midwood because she sent me a bunch of material. Um, one of the things that I discovered in this book is that uh, Tim and his friends had actually teamed up to publish the first ever edition of Table Talk, uh, which actually turned out to have been this little student publication that then morphed on and went on to Ligonier. So I found that out almost by accident there in that packet, talking with their best friends from their Hopewell years. And so I wrote the book based on what they told me and what I learned from them. And sometimes it was new information to Tim and Kathy or just different perspectives. And so it was something like, well, that's not what I would have said about my mother, but there was no sense of, oh, well, no, 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 you can't, you can't say that. There wasn't, there wasn't that kind of attitude. It was okay. Well, that's my sister's perspective. And so that's a lot of what I think might surprise people about the book is, you know, I obviously worked with Tim on it. I, they're clearly with a with a living figure and, and one that I'm close with. There wouldn't be another option there. But at the same time, he exercised a lot of trust and, and gave a lot of people freedom to share their perspectives, which I think results in a much more effective and illustrative uh, book in the end. Mm-hmm. Colin, you've mentioned you're close with Tim. You've worked alongside him. You're writing this biography. What, what have you learned about the way he's handled his cancer diagnosis and yeah. handled the idea that death is, you know, yeah. going to be right around the corner with that? One of the first discussions I had with him was actually on my podcast, Life and Books and Everything with Kevin DeYoung and Justin Taylor. He sounded different to me. He sounded lighter, freer, happier, and it was a sp- spiritual renewal that was coming to him from God amid this cancer. Tim has always overworked. It's been one of his besetting sins, but the cancer freed him up for the first time in like 50 years, essentially almost, to do what he wanted to do and not what he didn't have to do. Plus, it was right during the middle of the pandemic in New York City. So not only for his own health reasons, but because of the pandemic, he was really constrained. But through those constraints, he found opportunity to spend time with his wife that he hadn't for concentrated periods for decades, found time for prayer, for reading, for all these sorts of things that are so easy for all of us to get to, to get lost with, even in ministry. And it seemed to have been a catalyst with that focus of the cancer to of spiritual renewal. And I'll just say it's been inspirational and incredibly encouraging. And I think even life transforming for me. None of us is promised tomorrow, whether or not we have a cancer diagnosis or not. And so we live for Christ and we live for live for today. And um, that's just been incredibly, incredibly hopeful. And I'll also, also say this. He was in class with Addison Leach when Addison Leach at Gordon Conn was Elizabeth Elliott's second husband, got his cancer diagnosis and then died. And um, 
Addison Leach had a really hard time with that. I'm not trying to pick on the guy because, I mean, he was he was younger, and um, I think that it's hard for anybody. But he had an example of somebody who really, really, really had a hard time uh, with that. And um, Tim, by God's grace, seems to have taken a different approach. And like I said, it's just been... Uh, it's been inspirational, and I'm certainly not the only person who's talked with him and has seen him who's noticed this uh, change. You know, go to the next question, even <clears throat> as I see the, the cover of this book, for me, I actually read C.S. Lewis's biography. I think it's by uh, Alistair McGrath. And it yeah. just, in my mind, I'm like, there's, it even looks like a, the C.S. Lewis biography in some ways. Yeah. And, you know, you said you found an unlikely connection to C.S. Lewis. You, you yeah. mentioned... Kathy's connection with that. And anybody who, who reads Keller, I think, is going to end up being like, I, I want to read more C.S. Lewis. Uh, so <laughs> can you share a little bit more about yeah. the relationship of Keller and Lewis and even Kathy and Lewis? Yeah. Well, um, Mako Fujimura was one of the early elders at Redeemer Presbyterian Church and has gone on to be a tremendous artist, visual artist. And and a writer and leader in the arts movement, all that sort of stuff. And Mako told me something that I just has stuck with me ever since. He said, we always knew when Tim didn't have time to preach a sermon, he would just quote C.S. Lewis. <laughs> and, and none of us was, he said, none of us was, was disappointed because Lewis is great. <laughs> and, um, what did he just things, read a chapter of mere Christianity <laughs> from memory? Well, what he, so mere Christianity was one of the first books that Tim read before he became a born again Christian hmm. at the time with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. That was the book you handed to anybody. I mean, it still is, but which testifies to something about Lewis. But uh, one of the things that Tim picked up from Lewis is that because Lewis was writing for radio there, he used imagery and illustration far more effectively than most of us do today. And he, he, he'll often cite this analysis somebody did of his own sermons. C.S. Lewis has talked something like that. And, and Lewis was maybe four, had four times as many word pictures or illustrations as anybody else. Mm. And that concreteness to Lewis seems to somehow simultaneously be incredibly intellectual, yet also concrete, abstract and concrete at the same time. There are very few people who can do that. I think Tim is one of them as well, but Lewis is the, you know, he's the prime example. I mean, ultimately, this is Jesus. Mm. I mean, this is Jesus's effectiveness as a teacher. He could do both with his illustrations, his parables, all that kind of stuff. And so that's the primary influence is that the our, our teaching as intellectual and abstract as it is, it's got to also be visual and concrete and appeal to a wide variety of, of people in there. And so, um, you know, of course, the Chronicles of Narnia, that was huge for Kathy growing up. She didn't grow up in an evangelical home. And so she gets a hold of these books. And she thinks these are amazing. And she starts writing to this author over in the UK. And she thinks no one else in the world knows about this secret author that she knows. And <laughs> he must be struggling. And, and he'd love to hear from a fan to find out he had a fan somewhere in the United States. <laughs> so there's all these like 12 year old girl comments. At one point, I mentioned this in the book and actually in the hardcover version of the book, I've got an image of the letter 
or of one of the letters from Lewis. But you got Kathy saying, my school newspaper editor is giving me a difficult time. And Lewis is running back, empathizing. Yes, I understand what it's like to to be to have a difficult editor, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And the crazy thing is, Lewis dies in 63, and the next year, Kathy, at age 13 or 14, goes to the kilns. <laughs> she visits the house. She meets wow. with his brother. That just tells you a lot about Kathy Keller. She is an incredibly impressive um, and accomplished person. So, yeah, there's a pretty strong personal uh, connection there. That is amazing. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Yeah, and I, I knew very little. I mean, I knew the general outlines of that, but I really had very little idea until, goodness, I really started to dig in. Well, I know the book, uh, of course, is about Tim, and you've shared a couple of stories about Kathy. What connection, you know, and, and you always hear the importance of uh, a pastor's wife to his ministry, mm-hmm. all that. How has that played out with yeah. Tim and Kathy? You know, Todd, I really try to be non-judgmental about this because in the hundreds and hundreds of pastors and families that I've met, I don't think any two are alike in terms of their marriage or their complementary gift sets. I don't think you can conclude anything about a pastor's wife by knowing the pastor. You get into a lot of trouble assuming those kinds of things. So I don't think there's any kind of mold that needs to be there. That said, Tim and Kathy are on the extreme end of collaboration, I would say, in terms of a ministry couple. And there was a, a particular phrase that I heard a couple different times in my interviews, and it was that Tim Keller would forget to drink water if Kathy weren't there. And I thought, well, that's, you know, kind of a little bit of a dramatic way to put it. And they're like, I- I'm not being dramatic. That's an actual thing. <laughs> <laughs> and so just when, when you think about these influential figures, there's, there's always these, these incredible supports for them. And sometimes it's as practical as saying, honey, you need to drink water. Right. You, you need to, you, I need to remind you to do this. And then Liz Kaufman was a, a good friend of theirs and is a good friend of theirs. And her husband, Dick Kaufman, was the first executive pastor, very influential pastor in his own right in San Diego and all sorts of any other places. But Liz said, Tim, as a writer, always had an editor living inside his head. And that was Kathy. Kathy, of course, had been a, a you know student newspaper editor. She also worked professionally as a book editor during their years in Philadelphia. And so, when you think about all those sermons, he's he's preaching them to Kathy, either just in the front row or or otherwise. Um, so. I mean, it was, theirs is a a particularly close bond. It's not just because of their being intellectual peers, because they really got to know each other and got engaged and got married while they were in seminary. It's that their relationship is also unusually close. I mean, of course, husband and wife, they're close. I mean, Tim and Kathy are a different like level of close as a team and spiritually and and even just one of the things they did after Tim had a an earlier uh, thyroid cancer 
diagnosis. One of the conclusions was we have to pray together every night. I don't care where you are in the world. I don't care what's going on. We have to pray as if our life depends on it. And it does. So, yeah, they've just been, I, I, I mean, maybe that's a model for some other people, but I also don't want to create those unfair expectations <laughs> of people. I've just never met a couple uh, quite like them. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've got one more. Chandler got to ask two last round. So yeah, I'm going to ask two. In part because I have my mic muted and couldn't figure out how to get it off. So thank you, Chandler, for saving me. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but I'm grateful now that I get to ask the last question. And that is, Great. this is a personal one for you. Yeah. If you could go back and talk to your 20-year-old self now, this is a frequent question on the podcast, what what do you tell your 20-year-old self about to leave? But in the light of what you have have learned, really in your last 10 years with with Tim, but but certainly writing this book, what what advice would you give yourself about life and leadership, uh, ministry leadership especially, from, from this book? I think I've spent a lot of my career with a kind of status anxiety and of just goals that I wanted to accomplish or things I wanted to be able to do or hopes that I had and experiences that I would have. And I guess I could wish, I just wish I could go back and tell myself, it's all going to be okay. It's not going to be the straight line that you think there's going to be a bunch of ups and there's going to be a ton of downs you know the, the the path towards spiritual growth and maturity is not that up and to the right it's it's peaks and valleys essentially but but by god's grace and sanctification by the work of the spirit it, it's still heading toward godliness it's still heading toward that increasing holiness i just just wish i could say it's it's going to be okay don't don't get too tied to this thing or that thing. It's it's going to be okay. I'll be real quick on this one. My, my dad tried to teach me this at an early age. My brother was making a decision, and I thought it was the wrong decision. And I said, well, if he does this, you know, everything's going to be screwed up. And he's going to... My dad said, he's young, he's smart, he works hard. He's going to be fine. Even if it all goes bad, he's going to be fine. I wish I could understand that Christ calls us to live for that day. And if he tarries and continues to work with us, ministry is a long game. Don't be so worried about what you accomplish by age 30. Be mindful of who the the kind of person you want to be at age 60. And beware because a whole lot of the people that you think will never flame out, burn out, fall out, will. And um, only, only clinging to Christ and growing in humility is going to give you any chance to prevent that. So, yeah, I wish I could wish I could talk with that guy. <laughs> would, have, would have saved me a lot of grief. Well, Colin, thank you so much for, first off, spending the time to research and to write this book. I, I just think, uh, as we've talked around, uh, Tim's life is just one that we, we all want to learn from. And just thank you for writing that. And thanks for hopping on the podcast and talking about what all you learned and uh, all of that. So thanks. And for you listening, we uh, appreciate you tuning in. We hope this is helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, head on over to wherever you're tuning in and leave us a rating and review so other leaders like yourself can find the podcast. And we'll see you next time. Oh, 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 oh,